0: This is The Neutral Position, hosted by Nick Palmisano, Bringing honesty and reason back into conversation. Here's your host, Nick Palmisano.
1: Hey guys, welcome to The Neutral Position. It is an honor to have the Honorable Cheryl Mason. You've done everything from, you know, uh, being an attorney to the chairman of appeals for the VA, you've now written a book, but most of all, before I ask you to introduce yourself however you want, I would like to ask the, the important question. How do I become honorable? Because that's cool. I mean, that's just a cool thing.
2: That would be a Senate confirmation hearing.
1: Ooh, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> That's probably not going to happen for at least seven reasons. You might
2: be able to get away with it if you have a political appointment, but usually that requires a Senate confirmation hearing, but not okay. always.
1: Okay. Yeah, I feel like I probably have no chance of passing one of those. So the honorable <laughs> thing is out the window. Yeah. Is there like a junior version of that? Like I, I don't know. Like pretty nice? Pretty you know, nice, like sure. Kind of cool?
2: You can call yourself whatever you want.
1: All right. You can <laughs> like call that. yourself
0: formidable. That's
1: right. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I, I like, I like that. The it's formidable. It's formidable. <laughs> the I, now I that... That might be your best contribution yet. (laughs) Hey, from now on, that's how we're announcing (laughs) me.
2: I think it's perfect. What what have I done? You know,
1: that's how we're announcing. So you don't need the
2: honorable. You've got. So
1: if you if you could, uh, the honorable Cheryl Mason, tell us about yourself
2: well that's that's a long that's that's a long process but uh i i was the chairman the fourth chairman of the board of veterans appeals i was the first woman and military spouse to hold the position i came to it a little differently um
1: was it did you have to fight for it was it like a
2: a little bit um uh you know i was a careerist so normally someone who is in the federal government as for a career position I had been at the VA, I think by that time, over 20 years, um, isn't someone that they choose for a political position. Sure. T- just because when, when administrations change, they bring in different people, they yep. bring in their own people. And um, I was a little bit unique in a couple of different ways, not only being a careerist, but the outgoing administration um, had recommended me as the chairman uh, to the incoming administration. The incoming administration, which at that time was the Trump administration, already knew a little bit about me because I had some previous connections. I had worked for a congressman who was then, who was who was now an advisor to that organization and and to the administration. And so they knew a little bit about me. Um, but the biggest concern they had was appeals modernization. There had not been a chairman of the board of Veterans Appeals for seven years, mm-hmm. and it showed. The board was in chaos we were expecting major (laughs) legal changes and they needed somebody to spearhead that and so that was part of the reason that the outgoing administration recommended me because i had been a vital piece and to that process when we were building it (coughs) and so the trump administration uh, agreed after they looked at my pedigree vetted me a little bit and uh so they called me up and said you know will you serve and I said if I can get through senate confirmation and they said you'll be fine and so I was uh and so I served uh for uh, almost five years it was supposed to be a six-year term that didn't quite work with the current administration they asked me to step out early um and we came to agreement about how that would work
1: Um, was there a fist fight
2: there was, I stood my ground, let's put it that way. Uh, I, I'm pretty used to doing that. Like I said, I, I came to the position not only f- as a careerist in into the chairman position, went through Senate confirmation, served, but I also was a military spouse. And a military spouse building a career is a yeah. unique experience. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible. You have to fight. You have yeah. to fight. And when I became yep. a military spouse in the early 1980s, it was um, it was an uphill battle, all oh
1: the time. I can imagine. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. So, I can imagine.
2: Um, so so I had a I had a little bit in that in me in that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so when when the current administration asked me to step aside, um, I said, Well, you know, I have a statutory term, legally, and they said, Well, you know, we'd like to discuss it, and I said, We can discuss it, but the first woman, military spouse chairman who's delivering results is not going to step aside just because you ask. Damn. And so it's
1: making friends, you know, <laughs> making friends left and right. Why do they want you to step down?
2: I don't really know um, the secretary, and this is in the letter that I that I submitted to the White House because did they, I, did
1: they, was it just like a clean house of everybody that Trump put in kind of um, thing?
2: Kind of, but mine came like a year and a half later, so huh. it was a bit strange. Uh, when they first got there, I you know I said, "Are we going to have a situation here? Is there going to be a problem?" And I was the secretary said, "No, I think you're doing great. You're delivering results. Everything's great." And about a year and a half later, they said, you know, the secretary said to me, I want somebody from my own team. And I said, but I am on your team. I'm here to serve veterans. That's what I've been doing for 28 of my, you know, 27 at that time of my 30 years uh, of federal service. And I'm passionate about it. I'm delivering results. And he said, well, you know how it is. And I said, well, no, I really don't. And I said, you know, I don't. I said, you know, I don't really understand what you mean. On your own team, is is does that mean a man or a Democrat? Because either one is discriminatory. <laughs> so we danced a little. We danced a little, and uh, but I had to think about my family and how much of a fight I really wanted to put up.
1: And oh yeah, because if they want you gone, they're gonna make exactly. up. They'll make up stuff. Right. I mean, and, 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 and and I mean that the entire political yeah, universe uh, they the not the play any party like any, uh, but, you, know.
2: you know the nice thing is i had support i had bipartisan support Senator tester uh who was at this time the chairman of uh of svac huh. um was none too pleased when he found out
1: yeah this that, that's really weird mm-hmm. yeah, so. and you still you have no idea dan yeah. i'm gonna need you to find out
0: <laughs> see what the tabloids are saying I, uh, can, well, I, can I, I want you to
1: go undercover and get, you know, I want you to, like, go deep.
0: Oh. I want okay. you to Jack Ryan. Can I, I put on, like, a mustache? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, can,
2: ah. I can surmise that, you know, perhaps I was delivering results and doing well. And, you know, I, I stood my ground on advising because part of my job was to advise the secretary. I, yeah. I was a principal. And um, in, the, in the department, I worked for the president just like he did. And so if something came up around the table, I gave my two cents. You know, I I am a lawyer. (laughs) I will tell you if it's illegal or it's not, or we need to do things differently. We can still do it, but this is the tact we need to take. So there
1: wasn't like some big thing that you kind of fell out over or anything? Like it was just like surprise?
2: Mm -hmm. I was sitting in my office and got a phone call, and he's like, so we started searching. And I'm like, "Um, I've still got like uh, 20 months. and you yeah, know.
1: especially for such a short time. That just seems weird. Yeah.
2: And, and quite frankly, I told him, I said, look, I, I can retire in January 23. So, you know, why don't I just serve till then and then we'll figure it out. And, you know, he said, well, we've started the search. And then two weeks later, they had found someone. Which, you know, wow. he, was, he didn't call. He had already found someone.
1: How's your replacement?
2: Um, I, you know, I've met him once. Um, when I went back for my um, So it was a man.
1: It was a man Ugh. and a Democrat.
2: And a Democrat. My uh he's God. he's Ugh. from Puerto Rico.
1: Okay. Uh,
2: he's I, I believe he's a National Guard general. Okay. Um, he's he's a very nice person. Yeah. Um, I don't see him. So a there's
1: lot. so no beef with him?
2: No. Mm no,
1: but and, and you have retired now.
2: I retired in January from the department. We, we. Um, so
1: what did, did you like? What did? How do you go from chairman to then what?
2: So that was that was the question. You know what what is the first woman military spouse chairman going to do? Because I had return rights as a senior executive, so yep. I had to stay. Yeah, they had to do something with me, and I wasn't going. And how to many months them. was that? I had well. This started in March. We finally came to an agreement in June, and the new chairman came out of the Senate in August. So I so had about six months. Yeah. Um, but That's we had come to terms by June. Yeah. Um, with the, the, the process was we had to figure out what what I was going to do, what I was needed to do because I wasn't going to go sit That's in That's just so weird, though. I wasn't going to go sit in a corner. So I told them what I wanted to do. Did I you say
1: nobody puts baby in the corner? No, <laughs> I, I didn't say you that. You missed an opportunity. I did. <laughs> <You>, I, <laughs> <just>, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did. <laughs> but yeah, I would, I would have to say nobody puts the chairman in the corner. <laughs> yeah. but,
2: um, so I... Um, so i told them i said the position i want that you will have to create is the director of veteran and military spouse talent engagement for the entire department okay because you need one and and at the time i was also serving with dr biden on joining forces and joining forces was none too happy when they found out about this either (laughs) and um, so who
1: wanted you out like this doesn't make sense like if you're working with if you're working with the first lady
2: on military spouse employment, and and yeah, it was... Did it was, she say anything? I don't know if she said anything. I know that the then-director of executive... of The executive director for Joining Forces did speak with um, the deputy secretary about it. I
1: feel like somebody owed somebody something. Somebody Probably. had dirt. Somebody had dirt.
2: Probably. It, I'm going to just
1: jump to the conclusion politics. that the current chairman had dirt on somebody in the That's administration. It. That's it. I have no, nothing to back that up, but that's what I'm going to assume for the rest of my life.
2: Yeah, I I really, you know, my, you know, being around Washington for a while, um, being a student of political science, you know, when most children were watching Sesame Street, I was watching the Watergate hearings, thanks to my mother, who was a government teacher. Um, So I've I've learned a a few things in watching, and sometimes they move... People out of position to put people in position for future purposes. We That's we actually
1: guess. had uh, Rufus Edmiston, the gentleman that served the subpoena to Nixon. Oh wow! Uh, on the show, yeah, he was he was a wild, I'm a sure. wild individual. Yeah. What so, was your title? What, the, the position you had?
2: Which which one? The chairman or the, the? The chairman of the chairman of the board of veterans appeals.
1: So. Taking a step back from, I mean, I do want to get into more of it. Like, I want to, what is, who's your replacement? What's his, his name? His name
2: is Jaime Ariznego Soto. All right,
1: I'm right. Haime, Jaime Ariznego Soto. Yeah,
0: I Ariznego. probably didn't pronounce well, I'll just
1: say, General Soto, we want to know what you have on the current <laughs> administration Ariznego. that allowed this woman to get pushed out.
0: Said, uh, don't I'm worry. I'm glaring
1: at you. I'm glaring at
0: you. Yeah, he's on LinkedIn. You can oh follow. no, no, it's it's fine. I didn't write his name. <laughs> Just um, um, do something tonight from around nine to eleven. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's,
2: but you know, he is a very nice man. But he, you know, he, I don't see him a lot. I don't see him out a lot. When I was chairman, I was very visible, very, uh, yeah. very out front, talking to veterans, talking yeah. to veteran service organizations.
1: So, you know, talking about the VA. Um, how does it feel to be part of an organization that is so universally loved by all veterans? <laughs> <laughs> hmm,
2: I would like to know that. Um, so, you know, I, what I found about VA is there are several veterans that I ran, t- ran into throughout my career who absolutely loved it, thought it was great, great, and wonderful, and got the best service, and everything was hunky dory. And then there were many that mm-hmm. I run in, ran into who felt otherwise and I heard from a lot of those. Yeah. But you know, I think that's one of the things that you run into with serving such a large dynamic group of people with they're all unique individuals. Each veteran is unique and brings their own DNA to each case. I'm so. going
1: Do you think the VA as a provider is a good idea or a bad idea
2: i think the va is an excellent idea as a provider given the research that they do the amount of people that they see especially in specific areas you know there's there's certain areas that only the va sees because the rest of the medical community doesn't see some of the things that you see from from service from people who served in the military
1: It's 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 hard for me. So full disclosure, in my previous company, when I used to run Ranger up, we had an animated series called The Damn Few. (laughs) And it's still one of the favorite things I've done creatively where every cartoon character was represented, um, you know, the service. Right. And, you know, it started off as like one minute, two minute shorts. And then by the end, we were doing 30 minute episodes. And one of the episodes that is universally beloved is called The Wizard of Va. <laughs> and it was.
2: I think I've seen It that. was
1: the crew going to, the, trying to get to the VA. Mm-hmm. And just like everything was keeping them from getting anything mm-hmm. done.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's better than it used to be. There's still work to do. And current—and quite frankly, I will tell you, um, I, I think we've gone backwards in the past what,
1: four years. What's the big problem? What's the I mean, I know there's many and I know like I do understand that when you have an organization that is as large as the VA, changing anything is extremely challenging. But, you know, when you have problems like when you have people killing themselves in parking lots mm-hmm. and you have, you know, I I have and, you know, some of the same people I do. But, you know, uh, and not, I'm not putting this on you. I'm asking no, the right. fundamental question, you know. Uh, we have a mutual friend that mm-hmm. whose husband begged for help and right. then ultimately ended up killing other people and himself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is still, to this day, one of it's, the worst things horrible. I've ever heard. It's, it's like, absolutely horrible. Uh, how do you get there? And then why... Like, how does the organization fix things like that where, you know, hey, there's an emergency? Like, how do you solve that problem? I think I think more than anything, I think, you know, everyone... I've I've used VA healthcare and I've also used, you know, I have a good private plan, but even mm-hmm. with the private plan now, things take forever mm-hmm. even if it's like a serious thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have a general healthcare problem, but the VA, like how do they fix the emergency kind of situations where people are truly in crisis, right?
2: So that's a multifactored answer. <laughs> that's so- why that's why you're the
1: honorable <laughs> so- and I'm just the formidable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, the formidable is pretty good. Um,
2: so I think, you know, first and foremost, the partnership, the VA has to strengthen their partnerships. And they are starting to do this. And we were starting to do it in the previous administration. And it's continued a little bit with the community health care and, and with what else is out there. Um, just because we can't do it alone. We can't. Um, and so especially in some of the areas where it is very hard to get into care. So, so we have to strengthen those partnerships. So if we can't see a veteran like our mutual friend's husband, and for some reason we can't get that person in, let's get them to one of our partner organizations that can take care of them, at least for a short period of time. Um, that's one thing that, that I think we've, we've tried to do, and I uh, it's – I don't know. Part of this comes down to leadership and what people want to believe and hear. Um, you know, during the Trump administration, you heard a lot about oh, they're trying to privatize. There was no privatization that I was aware of that I ever saw in any meetings I was in. There was trying to partnership to work together yeah. to with the community to serve these veterans because VA couldn't do it alone, and that's still the case.
1: I mean, there was n- there was, you know. I have a well-documented series of criticisms about the Trump administration, but I also very much feel like there was nothing that that administration could do that would be accepted by anybody. And
0: Possibly. There were,
1: and there were a lot of, I thought, and I know you're going to be very careful in this area, but you know, there were a lot of good things that happened yes, that were, were, that were uh, not treated as such. Well, I
2: will tell you, the senior team that I worked with at VA during that time was one of the best teams I've ever been a part of and I've seen.
1: I I have heard, you know, and again, back me up on this, Dan. I'm not a big Trump guy. (laughs) But I have heard universally from, you know, we we work with a lot of veteran nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Universally the trump administration was very good to veteran organizations Mm -hmm. and on veteran issues
2: well secretary wilkie dr stone the whole team randy reeves who was under secretary for for benefit for um for cemetery um you know the whole team we were just we were a team and Mm -hmm. we worked together as a team and it showed um and you know Dr. Stone and I remain very good friends. Secretary Wilkie mm-hmm. and I are still very good friends. I'm still, te- you know, friends with Brooks Tucker. I mean, you know, it's, it's a team. It was a team, and... I, I didn't I didn't have that with the new administration nor did I expect to, um, but you know I think that makes a difference. Um, yep. But the other the other
1: and Soto's probably on a beach somewhere right now, not even caring about <laughs> veterans.
2: I I don't know where the chairman is. It's not my it's not my my job to watch the chairman.
0: Dan um, says he's on a beach. <laughs> so that's, that's the that's the intel I've got. So I've so, got a flight out of here at five p.m.
2: Uh, so but I the other. Part of the other answer to your question is, and I, I don't mean this to sound as negative as it's probably going to sound. You can be negative. But the bureaucracy at VA.
1: I never noticed. Is, <laughs>
2: is a challenge. Um, there are some amazing, wonderful people who work there who, who are very much committed to the, to the mission and want to get it done. And we'll, do, we'll move heaven and earth to get it done. And then there are other people who will stand in the way because this is just the way it has to be because it always has to be that way. Or it's my silo and I'm going to own it. Yeah. And the way and it's hard to fire. Mm-hmm. And the way you get around that is leadership. And you saw it, and that's the reason I talked about the leadership team before. You saw it with Dr. Stowe. You saw it with me. You saw it with Randy Reeves. You saw it with Secretary Wilkie. Um, you know, we held people accountable didn't yeah. always didn't always sit well with the press or other people. Yeah. But you know, Dr. Stone particularly and so was I, we were very much aligned in that you know, no nobody comes to work intending to do bad things. Yep. Right? But at the same time, if bad things happen, let's t- let's understand why they happen, let's take those lessons learned. But if they continue to happen, then we have a situation that we have to handle.
1: So my, my dad was uh you know was was GS uh, on the government contracting side and he ran an office in uh, uh, used to be uh, NUSK now it's Newick mm-hmm. um, and we were we were in we were in Italy as well you know we mm-hmm. we, we, we moved around um, one of the things that he talked about all the time was how hard it was to fire people mm-hmm. even people that like admitted mm-hmm. I'm terrible at this. every single time you know like you know and he 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 is very detail oriented so he would run the process exactly the way it had you know Mm -hmm. this counseling this written counseling this you know like all of it you know and then all right you know I've got to let you go and every single time it resulted in like legal action Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and that and that was expected yes And so, you know, when people ask like, oh, you know, why don't you fire so-and-so or why don't you get rid of these people? The process is going to be 12 to 18 months of your life Mm -hmm. and it's going to be miserable. And you're going to be treated as if you are the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And your command might even say, hey, you might want to just let this go because it's not worth it.
2: Sometimes, or they, re, or they um, you know, decide to reverse you even though they're the ones that...
1: Even though they asked you to do it. Yeah, see, see, you, it's almost like you understand. It's like I know. It's almost it's like, like you like understand I what...
2: <laughs> but I, I did, you know, I, I during my career, I uh, fired a couple of people. I disciplined yeah. a judge. I were, you know, I recommended removal of a judge and the secretary took my recommendation and it, that was serious. Yeah, that, um, yeah. But, you know, accountability is accountability
1: but what what i'm going at with this is you probably didn't make a lot of friends doing that nope it was a giant pain in the ass for you it actually didn't help your career it was it was a you know a you probably got a reputation especially as a woman yes for being a pain in the ass yes um that's why we have a system like this is because you know Whenever Hollywood and I decide to fire Dan, <laughs>
0: I say I'm terrible at my job all yeah, the time. do you not know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fire me.
1: No, Just I mean, but
0: you know, him. but that's like you know, yeah.
1: it, that's like, different. hey, you know, it's not working out. It's very different. Than and that then government. you know, unless you know Hollywood sexually abused him, which you know he he is a uh, he is. Well, that aggressive. means there was no consent. So. <laughs> <laughs> la, but, la 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 la. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but it, unless unless there's some you know some, you know, reason that like we've done something wrong, essentially, you know, Dan goes, he gets another job or he files unemployment and you know, we pay that whatever. And and we all move on with our lives in the government for some, you know, inextricable reason, you just can't do that. Everything is like a hassle. Everything's a process. Di- it's much
2: more difficult.
1: And Excuse but me. does that not contribute to the inefficiency of our government?
2: It does. Mm-hmm. It does. And, and you know, I, I have received a couple of questions while, you know, in other podcasts and then writing the book about what do you do about lazy people or what do you do about people that just don't work? And, you know, in my experience... Cut
1: their break line? <laughs> no. In my experience, what I have
2: found in those situations is those are people who have been disgruntled for some reason. yeah. And sometimes it can be fixed with listening and understanding where they are. Oh, it's you're, not
1: c- you're coming at me with leadership things it right It
2: is, now. yeah. And sometimes it can be fixed with that and sometimes it can't. But sometimes it's one of those things where you really have to understand where the person is and why they're there. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, 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 had, I had at least two people... Um, earlier in my career where I ran into that with and I was able with one of them to transition them into another position that made them happier and that was a work in progress right? and Mm -hmm. you know initially they were like well I don't know and then when they got there they're like yeah this is much this is much more what I need right because life changes right the other person um, decided to go a different way and you know that was a A discussion, (laughs) and but that's okay. You know, you you're still talking. You're still talking. Like, well, the work has to get done, and uh, you know, I'm I'm giving you all the tools I can. The work still has to be done. So, you know, at some point,
1: how much time does that did that take? A
2: lot. It takes a lot of time. It is, you know, leading and supervising. Which which in in my opinion are They can be the same side of two co- of the coin, but sometimes they aren't yeah. um, But when you're in a supervisory position and you're going through that process it takes a lot of time, but the leader has to support the super supervisor and at least know what's happening During that process so the leader should be involved and know and so that's gonna take some leadership time too because the leader will be held accountable if it goes legal
1: so, you know, one of the big lessons that I had to learn when I got out, because when I, when I was in the military, you have the, there are no bad soldiers, only bad leaders mentality. And that's not true. There, are, there are bad soldiers. There are. Mm-hmm. And so, like it would drive me, it would probably drive me insane if I had a serious job like your job was and I had to deal with incompetent people because you you end up working around them, right?
2: Sometimes, mm-hmm. or or you try to put them in a position that you better use their skills.
1: That's very that's a very cagey answer. Well, you know, <laughs>
2: here's here's the situation you have. If you have, you know, they might be incompetent for the job they're in. Yep. Because they're they were promoted when they shouldn't have been. Okay, or they were given responsibilities they shouldn't have. So, unfortunately, what you have to do, like we just talked about in the federal government, is unless you're going to go into that and fight the battle to remove them when you're not going to win because all the ratings have been they're Mm. doing fine, then you you refocus their duties and give them duties that they can handle. And oftentimes, that at least, you know... Placates that situation, and so then you can do the stuff over here. You're still working around them. Yeah, it's just a different process. Oh, man, is
1: that's tough though. But it
2: is hard. It's hard. That's and it's tough. When you have 1,200 people, because
1: it's hard enough to yeah. do whatever work. And I don't care. I don't care what you do. Jobs are hard. Jobs like, are hard to, to be good at anything. I don't mm-hmm. care what it is. Is hard, mm-hmm. and so, you know, one of the things that we're big on, you know, at at Diesel Jack is. Like everybody has to be like on the team. Right. Mm -hmm. And And that's what you want. The employees actually rate each other almost ranger school style, you know, to make sure that feed it's not, it's not like to like weed people out, but it's so that people have immediate direct feedback on a quarterly basis. Mm -hmm. Like this is what everyone actually thinks about you. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it's been a very effective tool. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can't imagine, like if, if Dan was just garbage.
0: Yeah, I always hate peer review time. You know, <laughs>
1: if he was just garbage and we still had to do all of the work that we do, because we're very busy.
2: Right.
1: I, I mean, that would that would be soul crushing to me.
2: It's, it's hard. I mean, you do have situations like that. I won't,
1: How many people have you pushed off a cliff?
2: Um, have I pushed off a cliff, you know, or, or, <laughs> or encouraged, to, jump. <laughs> or encouraged, or encouraged to, to find their, find a different path.
1: No, um, I mean, I mean, literally
2: I have, I have fired, I would have to think back over my career, but I, I either, I directly, you know, the one thing about the government is you never directly fire anybody. It's always, you know, um, a structure, a, a, a structure, yeah, but, a review. um, I, I have fired five,
1: That's, that's really not that many.
2: No, not over a 30, almost 30 year career. But that's,
1: that, that, those five firings were probably 10 years of your life.
2: They were a long time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, paperwork and, you know, making sure. And, you know, then there were disciplinary actions that even, there were more of those.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, So, you know, you've, you've taken all of the, the experiences that you've had Mm -hmm. and you're writing a book. Basically, have written a book. It's in the it's in the editing phase now, it, right? It is.
2: It's the rough draft is is in. So we're yes. We're tell in. us
1: tell us what the book is tentatively called.
2: Okay, it is Dare to Relate, Leading with a Fierce Heart.
1: Now I have to tell you that is a very like that is a very serious title.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like there's you know like that title, I have to think about the title.
2: It is a working title. It will probably
1: change. Wait, what do you think it's going to change to? I have no idea. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a murder mystery. Yeah. Um,
2: one of, one of the I areas... wanted to change
1: to something that it doesn't make any sense, like mutton chops. Well, like one of... <laughs> mutton chops by the Honorable Cheryl yeah. Mason.
2: One of One of the things that has been discussed, you know, kind of around it and not really specifically is I did it my way. Um, because I was the chairman of the board. Oh, that's and cool! Like the chairman of the board who, who sang. Yeah. And he certainly did things his way. He did. I I did it my way, and so we've we've or we've we've talked about possibly doing something like that.
1: That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's that is cool. I like that more.
2: You like that more? Okay. Yeah. I'll then take you, that then, under consideration. Then you can
1: do like a leadership subtitle. You okay. Know?
2: So, what, I would have to think about what that is, but okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So you could like, use, you, if you're thinking chairman of the board, maybe shagging the Night Away could <laughs> <laughs> See? That's what he brings. That's what. That's <laughs> what <laughs> he goes, he it's a good song, man. Yeah. I don't, to that. I don't know.
1: <laughs> That's what he brings great. to the table. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to, Dan, keep working on titles. Right? <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So, So, what is the book about? Is yes. it a. Is it about like you know, um, uh, flowers? No. Is it, is it about give me uh, just a little more time? Yeah, cartoons that would actually work. You know. No, yeah. <laughs>
2: no, it's not about flowers. Um, you know, I don't even think I mentioned hummingbirds yeah. in the in the book. Oh, that's um, too bad. <laughs> um, it's it's really it's a what I what I phrase it as is it's part memoir, it's a part knowledge share. Okay. And by that I mean, the book is about my experience in overcoming life's challenges and Mm -hmm. life definitely threw a few at me in my early years, uh, you know, and overcoming those and then taking that learning and figuring out what I wanted to do with it. Um, realizing that I had leadership ability and then choosing to step into a leadership role, how I develop that and how, so then I talk about how things like imposter syndrome, how you can work through those, and then I provide some tools for your toolbox on leadership and give you some ideas about um, what skills you might need to put with those tools and then give give you like a roadmap if you're stepping into a leadership job or you're in one already, how you can do things differently. Um, But the book really centers around, I was an unconventional leader, just like I came from an unconventional background. Leaders often, leadership teaches you that you're supposed to drive for results, and the Mm -hmm. people will come along, and it'll be fine. That's not how I led. I, I led in relating to my people, taking care of my people, listening to my people, and investing in my people.
1: I want to apologize because right now, as you were talking and you were saying, I'm an unconventional leader, the image that popped into my head. Imagine a media agency that can make a documentary that qualifies for Academy Award voting. Imagine another that created a billboard charting music video for five for fighting. Imagine. Another that has raised so much money for nonprofits in its first year working on the Classy.org platform that at the end of the year, it was named as only the second marketing partner in Classy's history. Imagine another firm that can cover your events anywhere on planet Earth and provide a compelling series of videos about those events immediately and to your needs. And imagine another still that can help your e-commerce business take it to the next level. Now imagine that they're all the same business, Diesel Jack Media. Some of you might be saying, hey Nick, isn't that your company? And to that I answer, can a company like Diesel Jack Media really be owned? Or can it merely be coaxed out like a beautiful butterfly on a spring day? As you listen to this podcast that, by the way, Diesel Jack Media created, you may be asking yourself, what's our secret? It's simple. We try not to suck. Sounds easy, right? It should be, but somehow marketing companies and media agencies always seem to get it wrong. You see, we don't make PowerPoints about doing work. We do the work because we like the work. And if one of our ideas doesn't work, you know what we do? We try another one again and again and again until our ideas start to work. Because not quitting until it's right is at the heart of not sucking. And as previously mentioned, that's what we try not to do here. Diesel Jack Media. We try not to suck. Visit us at dieseljackmedia.com. That is dieseljackmedia.com. <laughs> you wearing a beret of some kind <laughs> with a cigar and a machine gun, and it just says the chairman of the board, I and you're will. just like...
2: I will go with that. I,
1: I, kinda, I like I, it. <laughs> I, we're going to just don't. have to make this. All right. Right? I'm not saying you should use it. But I feel like we have to make this. Just
0: let us get a picture of you in front of the green screen. Yeah, if we could just well, get a quick green screen <laughs> photo. I, <you> know, <laughs> That's all we need. That's I will need.
2: admit that I am from Appalachia. I am from Southern Ohio. Yep, yep. Um, my husband has my F-150 right now. Oh, um, the truck in the world. Yes, and uh, my husband has that. So I have the four-door sedan. Um, but I do know how to fire weapons. Oh, I, I have and, no doubt. Um, I'm very comfortable. Firing I, I
1: have no doubt. I have when uh, when I lived in Germany, mm-hmm. my uh, my my best friend um, had an F-150 that he brought over there. Oh wow! And <laughs> it was just not Germany appropriate. No. It didn't it didn't fit anywhere. And one time his parents visited, so it was like his parents and his sisters, and so there were they couldn't all fit in the truck. So he had to he borrowed a car from another guy. <laughs> He drove that car, and I drove his F one hundred and fifty, and we we went to Paris. We drove to Paris. Oh my! Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> in an F one hundred and fifty.
1: In an F one hundred and fifty. Oh, my. And we we went into a parking deck, and I'm tra- I'm traverse. I'm going up the circle, and I realize I can't fit this thing.
2: No. Uh-uh.
1: So with a ton of angry uh, Frenchmen behind <laughs> me, I had to three point turn all the way <gasps> up the ramp just oh, just oh, okay. it was it was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And when I think about F150s, that is what I always think of. And well, I just like, wanted to share that with I
2: could not drive my F150 to work in DC because it wouldn't fit in the parking garage. Now,
1: anywhere. Mm-hmm. Hollywood knows about that. Hollywood <laughs> Hollywood took off the top of a van once. Oh. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, that so, might be an exaggeration, That I took off of. I'm sorry. It a I'm lot. sorry. That you're you're right. I exaggerated. Hollywood made a van two feet shorter once. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I made a trailer two feet shorter once as well. Yeah, I actually got stuck in. Uh, Dan, I, this isn't about you. When I worked for my brother's company, <laughs> I got I I had to drive a trailer. My brother does event management. Oh, like, yeah. like a race that they like, puts on half marathons, and I got there the night before or two nights before, and we had like this trailer that we had a truck that you know we dragged, and I went. I went in the parking deck and I got the trailer stuck. Like, it was like the middle of the night in Asheville, North Carolina. I got the trailer just here, like, and I'm stuck. Like, had to let air out of the tires. Mm -hmm. Backed it out. It was actually a beautiful escape. It was one of my proudest moments. When did you tell your brother you did this? (laughs) After the race went off without a hitch. It's a few years. (laughs) (laughs) He's telling telling, telling him right now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Charlie. So, yeah, but
2: what I do love about North Carolina, it was really funny in, um, I think it was June, I was headed over to Bragg. I think it was still Bragg in in, in June. I was headed over to Fort Bragg in the morning for a meeting, and I called my husband, and I said, "Um, I'm going to need my F-150 back down here. And he's like, why? I said, because I'm not fitting in. There's like a line of trucks and me. <laughs> like, you know, this is not working for me.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's, so when I, uh, when I was at Benning, I, when I came back from Germany and I was at Benning, I, uh, everybody there had uh, trucks or motorcycles, mm-hmm. except for me. Because I knew that if I, I, when I was in Germany, I bought a a Porsche 944 Uh and I did a lot of work on it. Like a lot of, you know, so it was a very fast little car. And I knew that if I brought that to the States that I would go to prison. Yes. Yes. So instead, (laughs) I bought the cheapest car I could find on eBay. And I had a Saturn uh, SL1 with fake hubcap, you know, like, (laughs) like screwed in, like. You know, not real, and and that's what I drove at Fort Benning as a uh, captain. Hmm.
2: Yeah, so, I bet you know, they loved you. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. like
1: sir, like so they're like sir. I need you. I need you to get something else. Like <laughs> this really is not where I, I was. Like else. I love this car. You know, it's got seventy eight horsepower. Sure.
2: <laughs> well, my uh, our our the first truck I had, which is is a truck, is um, a two thousand one Chevy Tahoe. Oh wow! And we still have it. Um, nice. it, uh, the, the youngest drives it,
1: they make good trucks. Yeah, it's a fantastic They make good bit, trucks. We love
2: it. Yeah. He loves yeah.
1: it. Hollywood has my, my suburban, you know, I gave it to him as a, as a, bonus? As, as a gift of love, <laughs> just a gift of love. A gift you know? of
2: love. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I am a, yeah, they're I great. am an Appalachian girl, so yeah. I, I do know how to shoot.
1: So what's your, what is your favorite gun? What do um, you like to shoot?
2: that would be my uh my i always get the name wrong it's a 380 380 uh semi-automatic I also have a Glock, but I like the I like the little one a little bit.
1: What it, what is it? Is it a Sig? Is it a
2: <sighs> You know? I have not you don't even know. It's in the it's in the it's in the vault. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> I haven't
2: had it out for a bit. Uh, I need I need to take it out. Um, yeah. but it's a it's a 380 semi-automatic. That's yeah. that's my favorite cuz it's just easy. It's yeah. easy to hold, yeah, it's, it's smaller. easy to manage. The 22 and I don't get along. Uh, 20 Yeah, yeah. It's got a kick in it.
1: The 22 does.
2: Yeah, it's got a little bit of a kick in it, and so I can handle the Glock and I can handle the the 380 semi, but the 22 for some reason, hmm. you know, I don't I don't know why.
1: That's odd. Uh,
2: it's it's just you know my husband says it's weird, but you know that is
1: weird. That's just me. Y- usually 22s you almost can't feel like. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't you know what like about little, it. I don't like maybe throwing it's, a dart. You yeah, know? It's, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. But
2: I think it's because it's so light. I, I kind of give it gotcha. too much. Gotcha. Maybe. And yeah, I yeah. I don't manage it as well as I should. So yeah. I just stay with the
1: bigger. Things. Well, the 380 was James Bond's first gun. Sue, Sue's runs a 380. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it's the same as the 9mm. But the 9mm is yeah. a little longer. Yeah. She's so got a little Sig 38 special. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I like it. I like it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. So you are your your book is essentially on leadership. It it's is. It's a memoir, but but you're you're sharing life lessons in leadership. Correct. You do realize you're not a retired military officer.
2: I, I do know that. OK, I
1: just want to make sure because that's so. who usually likes to write leadership. <laughs> I
2: am so. a four star, though.
1: What's that? So fair enough. You know, the
2: honorable. The honorable my position was a four was star. a four star rating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: I uh, I don't want to brag or anything, but I had a captain rating. Okay. So that is, you know, so I'm not, I'm not sweating I'm not sweating it either. I only (laughs) needed, only needed seven more ranks to to be honorable.
2: (laughs) You know, I figured, you know, one of the things about writing a book, um, uh, several, the reason I wrote the book, it is hard. It's It's, hard. It's, it's. it's, People uh, have no idea. They have no idea. And as a lawyer, people are like, but you like to write. And I'm like, not this way.
0: <laughs> well, to write a good book is really hard.
2: Exactly. To
1: write any book. It can be a terrible book. It's still hard. <laughs>
2: it's it's hard. There's a lot of words. Um, but I think, you know, people recommended to me, you have to write a book. You have to write a book because mm-hmm. I was leaving office. And and I said, I don't know. And, you know, I'm not sure. And, and, and so I finally sat down um, with actually a senior spouse. And she said... What's the problem? She said, look at what you've done. She said, you and I are the same age. And she said, you know, I, I did not follow that path because, you know, I had, I, had a different, I had a different path to follow. And she said, now, you know, my husband's retiring and I'm, you know, in my early 50s looking, trying to figure out what my career is going to be, mm-hmm. right? She said, you have this amazing career. She said, you not only, you know, overcame... You know, your, your father and brother suicide, your um, military spouse <laughs> challenges, um, and everything else it took to, to lead as a woman mm-hmm. in the federal government. But you led in the federal government and you drove change successfully. So why not write the book? Because people need to know your story. And I said, oh, yeah. That's right. Okay, <laughs> that was that was really what happened, and the, you know, along the way, people would remind me as I talked to different people, they would say, "You know, you're writing this book because we want to hear how you did it. We want to know because you can provide um, encouragement, support for future generations." Mm-hmm. I have two sons, 28, 23. One's a kind of a millennial; the other one's a Gen Z. And, you know, they are carving their paths, but they are in many ways their mother's sons because, you know, they had me as, as their mom. And, and, their, and, and, um, and so they look at things differently than their, their friends. And sure. so their friends come over and go, Mrs. Mason, we can't wait for your book because we're just excited because you give us encouragement about our future. So I said, okay, then now I have
1: to. Do you talk crap about those kids in the book? No,
2: I do not. Those kids are fantastic. Just be
1: like, I I would throw a (laughs) line or two. Just, you know, add something that's like a little, you know. No,
2: no, my two boys are, uh, and and their friends are, are. um, They're good kids? They're all good kids.
1: Good. That's good to hear. What's the hardest thing about writing a book for you?
2: Who? I I think it's it's sitting down and putting pu- telling the stories and then and figuring out which sto- what stories to tell and how to do that I, for me particular because this really this book I really want it to be about the book's about mm-hmm. taking care of others and encouraging others and one of the most challenging parts in the book is I'm telling all these stories about me. And I'm like, but I don't want to tell stories about me. And I have interviews in there with other people. But, you know, my editors say, but that's why you're writing the book. Yeah. Because you did it. But for me, that's like, but, but, you know, <laughs> I get it. I get that that's why I'm writing the book. But I feel like I'm, I'm you know kind of tooting my own horn and I really don't want to do that I want to share those experiences more than yeah say I did I did this
1: yeah I hear you but I mean you know people are going to read it because they want to hear you know if you're writing a memoir if you're writing that kind of book you've got to talk about yourself and your own experiences you know mm-hmm. you, I mean that that's you just you have to do it I have you know? to do you it you have and, to do it
2: but that was that was really the hardest part
1: I think the be- like memoirs are great when they're honest mm-hmm you know, and I'm honest. You know, I mean, and that's all you can do. It's right. like the, you know, not trying to make people think a certain way about you, but just you know, just kind of like here's here it is, brass tacks and all. You know, just, um, yeah. So it, I look forward to it. Yeah. I look forward to it. So for me, the hard the hardest part was figuring out what to put in and what not to put in. Building the structure was the hardest part because, you know, with Scars and Stripes, Tim has so many stories, so many things he's done Mm -hmm. that um, that book could have been twice as long, but it would have not had the same punch because some of the stories actually have repetitive lessons. Yes. So it was like, all right, how do we distill down like a pathway from X to Y? We're trying to get here. Right. We know where we started, what tells that that tale right. best, and it's hard. People really don't. They don't know how hard it is.
2: It's really hard. I think the beginning was easy because that's the memoir part. Yeah, yeah. So like, I can yeah. tell that story. I'm pretty honest. No, I am honest about it. Um, you know, the end. I kind of knew what I wanted to do there. Yep. But then that's usually
1: the way. But
2: figuring out the middle. But on how do you how get, you get work there. through that yeah. is hard. Yeah. And then I will say. The marketing that comes behind it. His, yeah. you know.
1: it's tough and everyone's bad at it, mm-hmm. except for those here at Diesel Jack. OK, good. So, good to know. <laughs> 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 yeah, I hear you guys are pretty good. We are. We are. <laughs> we are. We're good at we're good at what we do. Um, Yeah. So uh, when do we think the book's coming out?
2: The tentative published date is the end of February of twenty twenty four. Okay. Pre sale starts September five.
1: Oh. On Amazon. Okay. <laughs> and and so what we, we kind of need to know what title you're going to put up because well we, the
2: first title because will, we'll will be put we'll put dare, this
1: up that week it we will could be do dare that. to relate we don't even need a reason it
2: will be the dare to relate dare title. to relate mm-hmm.
1: okay yeah, so even if you change the title it'll be dare to relate at on, least to start on okay mm-hmm. so you you heard it here by the time you watch this. By the time you watch this, Dare to Relate will be out on Amazon for you to buy, and you can hear about how terrible so many people at the VAR <laughs> and how Soto had dirt on the administration, <laughs> and that's how he pushed Cheryl out. No, that's juicy. not in
2: there. But it's <laughs> not in there. It's pre-sale. You will have you will have packages to buy for launch events. There will hey, be, you know what you should do. You know what
1: you should events. do. The power move would be yep. to ask Soto to do the the, uh, the forward. forward. The forward. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: I could ask him that. Yeah,
1: you should I could, yeah. be like, hey. Be like, hey, your dirt, you know, pushed me out of a job six months early. So, you know, how about you write the form? You foreword? know, I
2: don't, it's, you know, it's fascinating because his, the Senate confirmed him in August, but he didn't take the position until the end of September because he was mm. still on active duty. Or still on whatever, guard duty, whatever it is he was doing.
1: So he couldn't even take it until, till later? Right. Because yeah. he was, was he a brigadier general?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he what was still he, is. What was he doing? Oh, he's still doing both.
2: Yeah, I think he still he still has like reserve or I, yeah. I don't yeah. you know. Virginia Guard is is one of those unique situations. So, yeah. I don't know exactly how that's working, but technically you're not supposed to be able to do that as a political. Mm. I will write the letter to, to him fishy. for you. For him to do the
1: forward. Some, I, I really want this here. I really want this to happen. Something's afoot, you know.
2: Well, I do have a couple of people like Shireen Brown who, you know, said she would write a forward. I know, but it's
1: it's not as spicy. as know, like We so, get soda. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. I can
0: also
2: ask. You know, Dennis. I can at ask, least, at can least, Secretary McDonough. Let's at least
1: let's <laughs> at least get him on the back of the. I'm back of,
0: a phone call to his office
1: today, <laughs> inviting him on the show. <laughs> Good, please do. And we, we just problem. hammer him yeah. the whole time. We we don't let him answer any questions yeah. other than why did you why yeah. did you get Cheryl removed yeah. from what, what are you, from you,
0: what's the dirt.
2: He was very pleasant, you know. He well, he asked for my uh, suggestions and advice when we met for 15 minutes. I'm sure
1: he, yeah, I'm sure he meant it, you know, but I told
2: him to be the chairman.
1: That that was That's your advice.
2: Job. I told him, well, he he was struggling with some with some things with the hill, and I said, "Look, you're the chairman. You you can go talk to the hill if you want to go talk to the hill. It's, you can do that." I certainly did.
1: I think it'd be hard to go from being a brigadier general directly into 'Cause you need a few years to like break the I gotta listen to I have to listen to what everybody has to say. And
2: he was he he was a brand new general. Yeah. Right. So I think But
1: just that the military mindset, mm-hmm. you know, and you see you know, I, I have a lot of friends, like all my contemporaries are now they're either O sixes or they're o sevens. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, and even the guys that used to be the rule breakers they are not anymore. No. Nope. They are, they have conformed mm-hmm. to the way of the military. Yep. And I think to be an effective member of the civilian side of the house, you kind of have to not give a shit.
2: You, not, you, not about
1: the job, but like,
2: right. you have to lead, you have to lead first. First and foremost, you have to lead. And then you have to lead your way. And, I think it is hard. Now, I will say the, the one the one general that I saw to, to do it extremely well was Rich Stone. Rich Stone who, you know, he did that extremely well. He transitioned and, and he did that well.
1: And, and how, what, what did he do that was good?
2: I think, you know, it, Rich is, is just one of those leaders who knows, one, he knows how to lead. And he knows how to connect with his people and how to have the right care as well as how to balance the care and the leadership because it's tricky. And I watched Rich do that during COVID. I mean he was he was the acting undersecretary for health and he I mean he just <laughs> and went. But but his people knew that that he was behind them. He kn- they kn- he knew that they that that they knew they had his support. Mm-hmm. They knew he was there. He was very visible. He was out in the field. He was thanking them. He was he was just engaged. And you know, I think it is hard for people who are in the military at the colonel rank and above mm-hmm. to transition into leadership roles where they actually have to hands-on lead. And the chairman job is a hands-on leader. It has to be. Yeah,
1: I think the big challenge, though, for them is. You know, they look to Congress or they look to, you know, whoever, and they are not used to pushing back mm-hmm. like yeah. it's, you know, which if you want to set me off on a tangent, that's that's, I think, how we had a 20 a year conflict that we did not, you know, effectively win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has so much to do with generals just saying, OK, mm-hmm. or trying to make an OER look good like, oh, yeah, we made this progress. Like, no, you didn't. You didn't make any progress like there was no. But that's a different that's a tangent. I'm not going to do that, but
2: well, I. Yeah. And, and and the thing is, when you're in those political positions, y- you know, you go before Congress, you're testifying before Congress. My first year as chairman, in addition to my confirmation hearing, mm-hmm. I had four other hearings. And, you know, I think that was a record. Um, and I learned very quickly, in order to manage those situations, you develop relationships with yep. Congress. Yep. And you develop relationships with the staff. But there are still times you have to go, and you have to hold your ground. Sure. And, um, you know, I started that when at my confirmation hearing. And, you know, Senator Tester at that time, you know, was um, Chairman Isaacson and Senator Tester, and I held my ground.
1: Give, give me three members of Congress that we should actually respect because my my gut instinct is typically to dislike all of them oh. and I have I have some I have people that I like but
2: you know I gotta think about that one g- give me
1: three members of Congress and like we should respect. two senators or something
2: oh okay um, <laughs> well you know I'd have to think about that I think mast okay um is is very good okay uh and and um, i'm there's a gentleman in texas and i always forget his name and i i have to think about it's it probably john or bob no i'm thinking <laughs> about his last name
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, uh he's a he's a congressman he's he's very good i mean all of the ones i'm going to name almost are veterans um i would say senator bozeman is is a good one um Mm. Um, you know, there's there's so much politically going on up there right now. But the congressman, um,
1: you I mean, know. you can you can do like two from each party. You can yeah, like I, like I, you, you know, know, I'm not I'm not I'm just saying, who yeah. are people that you think are actually good people trying to do the right thing? Senator,
2: Senator Sullivan out of Alaska. Uh, I think Congressman Mast, and then if I can remember the the gentleman's name from Texas. Um, there's a couple of them from Texas there's a junior one and then uh, i think Congre- i think congressman lutrell
1: yeah yeah morgan
2: mhm yeah i think so and i you know i'm i'm getting to know congressman hudson but from what i see i like so um so yeah
1: you want to tell us who the worst is
2: no <laughs> i do not
1: <laughs> do you think is it somebody we would guess or is it somebody that is stealthily the worst? You might guess. <laughs> okay. Now I'm intrigued.
0: I'm intrigued. I have discovered some interesting information. I well, can't wait. General Soto oh, uh-oh. served as the Latino outreach for the Democratic
1: Party of Virginia from 2011 to 2013. He also served as an advisor to State Senator Margaret Whipple. And in 2012 and 2013, he was the deputy
0: director of the Democratic National Committee for Hispanic Affairs.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, so like, there's no question. Anybody that that is appointed externally, it's a it's a paid debt, you know. Like these are you're getting.
2: I think I think it's a positioning for future opportunities. Sure. Quite frankly, I mean, that's what politicals yeah. normally do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Soto. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know anything about Soto. We're just guessing. We're guessing that he that he has he knows where the bodies are buried. That's all we're guessing.
2: I don't think he knows. You don't uh, think so? I, no, I I think I have thoughts about who does know, but um, <laughs> I, uh,
1: is it on Hunter's laptop? <laughs> I don't think it's
2: on Hunter's laptop. I don't I don't think the White House had had game in this one. I don't think they knew.
1: You don't think so? Mm-mm. Who do you think it was? Can we name names? No. Is it that person that we that Congress person that we don't like? No. Was it Hillary Clinton? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just assume I assume anything anything bad, you know, like um. Hmm.
2: You know, sometimes you just, when you're a woman in a position of leadership in an organization, whether it's government or private or nonprofit, you run across other people who are intimidated or challenged by you. That does not bother me. I, I am who I am, and uh, I've been that way for some time. Popeye said um, that. I am my mother's daughter, and she was the original badass. So I'm. You know, the daughter of the badass, I guess. Um, uh, but, sh- um, you know, I, I think that it kind of sits somewhere in that zone that perhaps I was just too much for. For somebody. For somebody. And Got they it. decided that I was had, in, their, I was in their way. Mm-hmm.
1: But you think the administration was, was all right? We don't. We. I,
2: I think, you know, they went along with it. Basically, what I think the White House told the secretary, well, if you want to out, she's got to resign. I, I never resigned. I agreed to step aside and move into the other position got at it. the request of the president and the secretary, which is how it was worded. And got that's it. exactly what happened.
1: Got it. So, you know, I, I don't want to bring up negative stuff, but you mentioned earlier um, and, you know, and it's it's publicly known uh, that you know, your father committed suicide mm-hmm. and, then, and then your brother. And that was a, a big piece of how you, what drove you to leave, you know, Appalachia and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, um, what, what I wanted to ask about that is not necessarily that the the, um, the trauma that I'm sure your family, you know, and your mom felt. But um, a lot of times there's this belief that You know suicide among veterans and mental health issues among veterans is a new thing Mm. (laughs) and you know interestingly like the data suggests that the incidence of you know vietnam veteran suicides is is actually the highest right now Mm -hmm. which is you know people you know vietnam veterans are in their 70s you know and and they're still this is still a major issue right and so you know i know that this is something that's important to you Mm -hmm. so I don't know if you want to talk about, you know, um, your work with mental health or you know, kind of uh, your the leadership that you're involved with now in the mental health uh, community capacity, you know, with the veteran, uh, you know, world. Right. But I thought that you know, because this is so personal to you, because you've experienced you know the significant trauma associated with that, that you might want to talk a little bit about that.
2: Yes, um, suicide is is hard. I mean, just period. Uh, everybody knows that. But I think what people don't realize is the impact um, to those who are left behind.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I struggled. My mother struggled. We. My mother h- did not like the word survivor. Um, I finally adopted it um, because there is no other word. Um, you know, so, um, you know, I am a multiple suicide loss survivor. Um and, and, your, it, and your father was a World War II veteran. My father veteran. was a World War II veteran mm-hmm. who um, served, you know, he, he finished serving in 46, 46, and came home and, you know, um, started struggling um, probably about 10 to 12 years after and um, started receiving treatment. He was diagnosed as paranoid skits. He had actually um, late onset, adult onset Paranoid kids that was triggered by his service in the military. Sure, um, he was he was on a cargo attack ship in the Pacific, and he mm-hmm. was the radio operator. So you could imagine yep. the messages he yep. took. Um, and so I think he he was able to keep it under control for a while, and then he couldn't. And he had you know in those days he had um, shock treatments. He he had medication, um, but. He struggled to the point that um, he just he just couldn't couldn't make it. And quite frankly, the scariest part about my father's death is um, the night he died. He called my mother um, from a area restaurant and said, "Let's you know, let's go up to the hill and watch the moon set or m- moon rise whatever." And she says, "I can't. I just put Sherry to bed. Um, come home, you know." And he didn't come home. And the doctor told her if she had gone, he would have taken her with him. Mm. That's scary. Um, what does the doctor think that? Because it was p- because he had paranoid skits, and so he wanted um, he he would have taken her because he didn't he he didn't want her to to go on without him. Um, that's unfortunately. Something that happens a lot with paranoia is there's jealousy. There's, you know, I, I control you, I, you know.
1: Wow. Um,
2: um, and, you know, we found out later that he had sold the house, and there were other things that indicated. He sold the house mm-hmm. that you were living in? Yeah. And there were other things that happened that indicated that he was planning to take her, too. Wow. Um, so, you know, that was scary. <laughs> so um, my brother was actually at boot camp, my brother was 16 years older than I was Um, my parents had two only children (laughs) Um, and um, my brother was actually at army boot camp when my father died he was a couple weeks out from graduation and uh, and so you know he came home but in small-town Appalachia you know suicide is is especially in 1969 made people very nervous Um, they didn't know what to do with it and and the stigma of a mental health issue was very challenging. Yeah, and so there was a lot of ostracizing there. Really? Yes. Um, you know, it's it's interesting for Appalachia because we are a very determined, um, proud people. But things that we can't explain or change is makes us nervous, and um, and so there was a lot of that. And it was the veteran community that came alongside supported us um i spent many an evening um at the american legion Mm. (laughs) having shirley temples on a friday night um you know and and for a little while because that was community that supported my mom and me
0: we
1: we do a lot of work with the american legion it's a great organization
2: and so um and so you know as i grew up it was it was i had a you know i had um a couple of family members who had served and and other other family who came alongside and and, um, but mental health, um, you know, people, people really just, d- just didn't talk about it. Yeah. Right. And so when my brother started having problems in, um, excuse me, his early 30s, um, he went, he tried to get help and he, he did, he, he saw someone. Um, but he didn't tell the extent of his history to the doctor. And, you know, as doctors are, they don't see the rest of the family. My mom tried to go and talk to the doctor and let the doctor know the family history because that's relatively important when you sure. have a suicide in the family. Because yeah. um, you're at high risk. And uh, the doctor wouldn't see her. And um, my, my brother just really uh, struggled. There were a lot of things different about my brother's situation. Um, there were some economic challenges he the it was the time in the early 80s when they were transitioning um businesses to streamline and it looked like they were going to move they were going to have to move and he was not comfortable with moving his family across the country and um and he he struggled with that and um you know it. um he he died by suicide two weeks before i left for college man and um he left um, a 13-year-old and a nine-year-old behind, and he left a note, which said that um, basically, to the effect that, you know, um, he was 34, and he said that he thought everything would he was he couldn't do it, and he thought everything would be okay because my mom was there and I was okay, and so she we would be there for his family. That was hard. Um, And that made me very mad for a long time. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, So, um, but the community for my brother really um, circled around him. But my mom, um, I was like, I'm not going to college. And she's like, oh, no, you're going to college. Because if you don't, you won't. And so she made me. Um, Which was the best thing I could do. Um, So off I went to college. Um, And I started in business, which I had... um, Know, at that age did not, was not in my mindset, started in accounting. I quickly switched over to where I belonged in um, political science and psychology. And psychology, I was very, very lucky to have a gentleman who was actually a practicing psychologist who was my primary professor. Mm-hmm. So I went to a small school, Ohio Northern University. And so he taught us really more like practicing so we did we did a lot of hands-on work like one of one of the finals for one of my psychology classes he was actually he actually had permission from his clients to take them and then we diagnosed from the video oh wow and he would grade it <laughs> and he really wanted me to go into psychology because he really felt that i had an ability for that unfortunately um I was going to be a military spouse, and, um, you know, in, in the military in the 1980s, um, having a job was was already hard enough, but they weren't about to let a spouse be a counselor. Um, really? In, anywhere in the base community. Oh, really? No. <laughs> and What was um, the reason for this? Because you might treat friends, and you might be privy to information, or, yeah. So I had actually, I had researched that before I went to law school, because I really thought that I wanted to do psychology more. And um, so, so,
1: so you met your husband in college.
2: My husband and I are college sweethearts. Yes, I married. A do
1: man. you call? Do you guys call it the Ohio Northern? No, we universe. do not.
2: Yeah. Um, it, well, you know, when I grew up, it was just Ohio <laughs> State University. I don't know where the V came from, but Ohio Northern is just Ohio Northern, and we are proud polar bears. Okay, the, the polar,
1: polar bears. Bear. Oh, the the polar polar bears. Bears. that's good. Yeah. Yeah. the polar bears. The only bear that hunts man. That's right. Just, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Gives you something else to think about now. (laughs) Um, So, but mental health became very important to me, you know, even with my practice of law. So, um, after my first year of law school, uh, I, you know, the Air Force decided that we were going to go to um, Omaha, Nebraska. God's country. Uh, Yeah. It it is God's country. And uh, (laughs) great stakes. I was very... They do.
1: They do. They're good at the cows. They
2: are good at the cows. Um, But so while I was at um, Creighton for law school, um, you know, I was struggling with being a military So did you
1: stay at law school then? You stayed and... So I went to
2: my first year at University of Dayton in Ohio while my husband was on active duty in, in Mississippi. Yep. And then um, we ha- we went to Offit, and so I, s- I, I transitioned to Creighton. Got it. Transfer to Creighton, which, it. you know, I didn't know that it was a no-no to transfer law schools, but I found out.
1: <laughs> Why is it a no-no?
2: Because they think that you do it because you're failing, or s- you know. Mm. N- n- oh.
0: I had a friend who transferred to schools. So he was failing. <laughs> 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 but so we're, we're thanks. To, thanks, <laughs> Dan. Once again, Dan comes through. Creighton
2: was really nice. They're like, we're accepting you because we're you're a military spouse, and we have to be nice to the military.
1: That's what like, they said?
2: And then they said, but don't worry. You're going to fail out after your second year because we, we fail 50% of the students. You can't tell me that. That just makes me, you know, go, like, watch me, right? So that's what happened. Um, So I graduated in the top 25%, but while I was at Creighton and while we were stationed off it, you know, I was – Uh, Doing the tango with the military spouses who were telling me that I wasn't allowed to work and have a job, and that wasn't, you know, my job was to support my husband. And that,
1: I mean, that was the thing. Like that was. Oh, absolutely. And they ostracized you. Yeah.
2: And they would hurt his career. Yeah. That's Um, crazy. But, um, you know, maybe. So I was
1: always around it because, you know, my dad is a Vietnam vet, but then, but when he was civilian side GS, it's not the same. No, it's not. But. We were around it you we know were around it yeah there were
2: so i was struggling with that so but when i went to creighton and talked with the dean and found out they were accepting me i found out that i was going to be short on hours and um because the difference between hours and, transis- and transferring and so i needed i needed an internship and i needed hours and so i just walked myself into the jag office hmm. Well, the JAG at that time, and I did not know the JAG, which is you know the Judge, adv- judge Advocate General of um, of the of the Air Force on that base, um, was a man by the name of uh, Colonel Henry Fowler, um, Hank. Colonel Fowler um, was a POW from Vietnam, mm. seven years in the Hanoi Hilton.
1: Wow. Oh my I've heard that name yeah he, he I've, um, I've heard that he name. was
2: actually an instructor at Maxwell for a long time yeah. after he retired um, teaching you know how to survive oh my gosh. if you're captured yeah uh, but he was an amazing individual and they had never had an intern he apparently had just only been there a few months I didn't know that and he took one look at me and said let's do it and so I became his intern and what I learned, um, he was my first legal boss. I didn't get paid, but I got hours. Yep. And I learned so much from Hank. Um, but he, his, you know, you would think someone with that experience, who had had his back broken, had you because know, he, you know, ejected out of a, yep, yep. a, a an F four. Um, he was beaten. He was hung. Um, you know, there were all sorts of things that happened to him during his um, time. As a prisoner, would have a very um, different attitude. He was very pleasant. He was very zen. He was always smiling mm. because he made a decision, and it was uh, his attitude actually that kept him alive sure. and his focus. And That's um, but I learned because of his disabilities, he shared some things with me. Um, I learned because at that time and still to this day, the military does medical boards and and things like that. And so that was part of the JAGS area. And so that was something he put me in charge of or working with him with, was looking at those records. And that's where I found out about the VA system. I had received VA benefits from my father to go Mm -hmm. to school, um, but I really didn't understand the VA system. And when I found it and realized, and he he had good care, um, and he's, he's still with us. Uh, he actually, wow. my first year as chairman, came and spoke. Um, That's super cool. And uh, told his story, which was remarkable and uh, was really important for the staff to hear. Um, but really, it was he who told me that. But he also, we talked a little bit about the mental health challenges around that. And, um, and so I, I became more aware of that. And because I had an undergraduate in psychology, when we moved to D.C., VA was the place I wanted to yeah. look at, and, um, and it was just a natural fit because the Board of Veterans' Appeals does appeals from um, primarily disability compensation claims, um, and at that time, the majority of them, and they still are probably, I don't know if it's this high, were probably 50% site cases. And I was pretty good, even as a judge with, um, and chairman, um, as with site cases because I understood. I could read between the lines. I could hear. I could ask the questions that were hard, and that was one of the things I did. As the chairman was teach my my judges. How to kind of handle those cases because sure. many times they were afraid to ask the questions. Yeah, yeah. Like, are you thinking about suicide? Are you? And you have to ask those questions because that's the important question to ask because then you, you are conveying that you care, that you understand. And so I kind of took that as part of my platform as chairman. I had military spouse employment and suicide prevention as well as veterans transition and really started working uh, I- initially with the Prevents program to um, increase suicide awareness and prevent um, suicide. And I still work uh, today with the, um, the the We Be program, We Be Life, which is a new uh, program that Dr. Barbara Dalen set up. She mm. and I are still very good friends and I'm working with her on how we can support and stop suicide. And then, of course, I work here in the North Carolina community as well.
1: Very cool, very cool. and. You speak yourself.
2: I do. Mm-hmm. So I do speak on on that issue. One of the things I do speak about with leaders is understanding that when when or if, hopefully it's an if and not a win, um, you have a suicide in your work, you you the leader must be very visible and step in. I had it happen to me, and um, it hit it hit us all sideways. I mean, sometimes know you never know but this one came out of nowhere yeah and it hit us all really hard yep and as a leader whether you're in the military where whether you're in the private whether you're in government you have to be visible mm-hmm. you have to come alongside and support your people because they need to know that you're engaged and so the minute i found out about it my next call was to the va crisis line i said i need you in i need you t- taking care of my people one-on-one group, whatever you need. Um, And they did.
1: In in your experience, is there typically a chain reaction, even if it's over years from a suicide? Like, does suicide beget more suicide? It's no secret that self-confidence is a big problem for a lot of kids in school. And Richly is here to help. Enrichly is an e-learning platform used for children K-12 through and impacts more than 200,000 students. Their programs help teach kids self-confidence, how to deal with bullies, and how to set goals. Look, can I promise that your kid will sign up for this and come out on the other side with Bruce Lee's fighting abilities, Mark Cuban's business acumen, Oprah's wealth, or evil Knievel's confidence? Probably not. But you never know. What I can promise you is 92% of kids felt more confident and 74% of kids felt their self-esteem had increased after taking the course. Visit enrich.ly today for more information. That's enrich.ly. Um, I'm not asking you to like, no, you know, tell me the scientific answer. So, but, but. so
2: what I w- So what I will tell you in answer to that question, Is that if you have a suicide in your family, you are a high risk for suicide. Really? We know that scientifically. Okay. Just like, and and this is one of the things I speak about as well, Um, you know, You probably know your risk for cancer. You know your risk for heart disease. You know we've we've learned. I don't, because I'm terrible. I'm just I'm I'm your
1: average man. It's just like, well, if I'm not in colossal pain, then I'll just not go to the doctor.
2: Yeah, um, that's standard. But um, some people actually know these these things. And what we don't know is our risk for suicide, or even our risk for. Yeah, as, mental health challenges. As and a
1: comparison, my right. thumb has been broken for like two and a half months and I'm hoping it just kind of sets because I don't want to have a cast.
2: Okay. Um, <laughs> so so when you have a suicide in your family yeah. your your chance increases okay And so you need to be proactive and do something about it. What does that look like? Well, so for my family, um, you know we didn't know that, right So when my father died when I was four, you know we dealt with it we talked about it but we really didn't talk about a lot right um because the community didn't talk didn't about a, it. didn't it appreciate was, it yeah, and, and it was, also that's and,
1: that's a bite you know stiff upper lip kind of generation right too. and it
2: was a thing where you were kind of shunned so you really didn't talk. About yeah it. um people told everybody oh she's her dad died by yeah, suicide yeah, you know, yeah. but, um but after my my brother passed um my my sister-in-law did the smartest thing she could ever do and this was her the doctor told her that my 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 brother's treating physician told her this um get them into counseling right now and she did and that was the best thing because then we could talk about it and we all learned to talk about it it took me a lot longer than that to talk about it it took me you know several years to deal with it and talk about it but um you know In our family, because we have that history, we have to understand that our risk for suicide is high. I'm somewhere between 50 and 75% because I've had two, like a father and a brother. Wow. My two boys, who never met their grandfather and their uncle, are at risk because it's in the family, right? Because Hmm. it happened and they know the history. It's not because they know the history they're at risk, it's because they're at risk. Right, it's there. I, uh, there are some genetic components, not a lot, but there are. Um, and the way you comba- combat it is to talk about it. And so, I had a family member who was, excuse me, struggling. When he when he reached about the same age as my brother, had started struggling, and um, you know he, he was having panic attacks, and um, he called me and he said, I'm I'm going to go check myself in until we figure out. How to get over this and how to handle it. And he did. And Good so for him. and so we talk about yep. it. Um and so, but we still talk about it. And so that's one of the things. So my kids talked about it, you know. Unfortunately, when we were in Virginia, um, the high school that my my sons both went to had a series of suicides. Um that's and it was extremely the worst. hard. When you and kids
1: especially. It's just Yeah, like it was
2: extremely hard. And um you know the school was doing several things to to talk about it and address it um you know i think they were making the best decisions they could Th-
1: this generation you know people don't realize that the the biggest group commit uh, that, that that are taking their lives right now are um girls between oh. 13 and 19 yes mm-hmm and like to me it, it's insane like I, I do understand that you know it's school's tough right growing yeah. up is tough especially that age is tough but
2: there's know. a lot of pressure there's a lot of anxiety uh covid did not help um you know and and uh, the other thing is i do think that social media to a certain it's extent ex- exactly what i was say. It, you know social contributes media. to it because People see stuff on there that like, oh, everybody's life is perfect. Yeah. Well, it's not. Yep. Yeah. Right. And um, you know, my um, my two sons really were frustrated with what happened because they knew, you know, it was a, it was a bigger school, but they knew most of the individuals, or um, and a couple of them were closer, you know, acquaintances, and um, it was it was very difficult. And you know, my s- my sons kept saying, you know. I wish they had understood the impact to their families, to their friends, because they don't think about that. right? And that's what's important I, to talk about.
1: But I do think it's, I think with social media, because kids are on their phones so much, mm-hmm. if somebody is messing with you, yeah. it, oh, never, yeah. it never ends. It like, never ends, like, yeah. Like, you know, my generation... You know, I I dealt with bullies and stuff. Oh, yeah, like when I not. when I left, you know, when I moved from, you know, I, I grew up in Italy. Even I was born in America, but I grew up in Italy. Mm-hmm. Moved back to like the Boston area. I basically got beat up every day for a while. You know, until the weird Greek kid showed up. You know, <laughs> but. But, hairy, you know, the hairy Greek. Hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like straight up. I was like the happiest day of my life. I was like, oh, thank God. No, you
2: know? I, I went through that in high school, too, until my senior year when I finally put somebody in the locker.
1: But when I <laughs> when I went home, it was over. It was like, all right, all right. recess, done. Right. recess sucks. You know, right. lunch sucks. Like there are these periods of time where like right. it's a problem. But-
2: on your phones, it's always there. But
1: but then you know you go home, you know you you know you're with your family. You've got the weekends. Like it's not continuous. It's just like uh, you know these few people are a pain in the butt. It's just my head's
0: in a toilet for a
1: minute. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and <laughs> I can, I can hold my breath for yeah. way longer than that. So yeah, it's, uh, you
2: know it is. It's it's just so but much harder. Yeah,
1: they just it's relentless, and and girls in particular mm, can yeah. be brutal.
2: Girls are are, are brutal, and and women leaders can be too yeah um, you know and I, I think that's something that you know leaders have to be aware of that's one of the things I talk about in the book about having having self-awareness it's it's a commitment but also having self-awareness so how you're handling things in
1: your opinion what are the biggest dangers of having a male boss and the biggest dangers of having a, a female boss and then opposite of that what are the typical pros like <laughs> I'm asking I'm asking generic questions you based know, on your experience.
2: I quite frankly, I the worst boss I ever had was a female. Okay. And it, it wasn't towards me, it was just the person struggled with the leadership position. The the person was not prepared or mentored properly and it was hard to watch. Um and it was and and you know even though you try to help from where you sit, when the person's in that position, they're just not going to take it. And so, um, that was hard. I had other female bosses who were, um, they set high standards, but that's okay because I'm I'm okay with that. Um, I had I had very different male bosses. I had I had male bosses who were like, just go do your thing, just whatever, go, you know just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and then I had ones who actually were engaged and supportive and, you know, helped me. Right. And said, okay, we need to prepare you for the next step. Oh, we, I want you to think about this, you know? So I think, you know, I think, I think it's a range for me. I really,
1: so you don't see attributes that are more women or more men.
2: I, I don't. I don't. Um, one of the things I was very, very safe answer.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, very it's just, safe. That's my experience. Now, <laughs> I will
2: say that I was very cognizant as a female boss that I tried to treat everybody the same and hold everybody accountable the same way. Bonuses the same. You know. Yeah, uh, because there is a perception sometimes with females that they like males better than females, or they like females better. And you know, I I really tried not to do either of those. I tried to recognize people for sure for their experience yeah. and what they did, and I gave people the same experiences. I feel like
1: that's a baseline of leadership. Right. You no. can't be like, I yeah. mean, like, so at Diesel Jack, like we hit Dan, but we don't hit any of our female employees. Okay. But that's, that's right. but that's different. Yeah. That's a different. That's a different.
2: <laughs> so, but I think you know, I I think that there are beliefs out there that. Men will try to hold women back, or that women will try to hold women back, and I have definitely there are individuals that seen are like that. that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I will tell you the the one female boss that I had who was challenging. She was not my biggest fan. Yeah, she would she would try to contain me a little bit. And you um, were
1: like, I cannot be contained. <laughs> well, ah!
2: I, I kind of um, <laughs> I I learned to kind of manage around it.
1: See, I'm right back to that same, you know, that same book cover. Yeah. You, you know, try the, to put me the in the cig- box. The cigar, the beret, just ah, you so know. So I just,
2: I just worked it different ways, you know, because I just made a couple phone calls and said, "Don't you, don't you want me to come speak at this? I think you need to ask specifically for me, like to three people, and then, you know, magically." Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I, you know, learning, learning political savvy in Washington D.C. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, we, unless there is something else that I have not asked you that you want me to ask you.
2: Well, I think, you know, I do speak beyond just suicide. I I speak on leadership, clearly, and I do speak on the lessons of leadership and and relational leadership. I, I do firmly believe that leading today and tomorrow's leaders is different.
1: If somebody wants to get a hold of you for speaking, how do they do that?
2: So is they, there
1: a, is there a website only for honorable people?
2: <laughs> no, my website is in progress. Fingers crossed, it will go live next week. H O N.
1: Oh, I, have, I want to start that so bad. I
2: have a I do have an email. It's Sherry C H uh, E R I at Catalyst. C- Catalyst Catalyst C A T A L Y S T dash okay. com.
1: Ooh. All right, we will get that on the screen because that's a lot of letters and slashes. So, my
2: company. What's the
1: website going to be?
2: the The website is going to be Catalyst Leadership Management.
1: CatalystLeadershipManagement.com?
2: Mm. dot com dot
1: mm-hmm. like it would have been sad if you had CatalystLeadershipManagement dot io or something. You know,
2: <laughs> like, no, no, it's dot com. I know in several of the you know, iterations,
1: on. yeah. Dot on, um, dot but, on, somebody's got to start dot. Well, that might already be Honduras.
2: Yeah, it could be, yeah, yeah I don't know.
1: If it but, exists though, like all of you honorable people should have you should a have dot it. on but, um, website. yeah so,
2: so I do speak about, because I do believe that leading, leading today and t- tomorrow's leaders and developing them are going to be, um, it's going to be different. Um, because they expect different things. Sure. They, they want you to care about them, they want you to relate about them. Yeah. You know no, you don't have to go out and have beers with them unless yeah. you want to. Yeah. Um, uh, you know that's a, that I'm not talking about that kind of relationship. I'm talking about the relationship of understanding what they need and bringing bringing things to them for to make their jobs easier and helping them do their jobs so that they can be successful because when you do that, your organization is successful and you actually become a better leader.
1: Awesome. Well said. And now it is time for the most important part of this entire show, the rapid fire question round.
2: Oh, okay.
1: The first question that I ask everybody is what is the toughest animal that you could defeat in hand to hand combat?
2: A mouse,
1: (laughs) a mouse, (laughs) Like any particular kind of mouse, like a gray mouse? A very small gray mouse. A (laughs) small mouse, so you don't want to fight animals? No. Okay, all right, understandable. What's the most interesting place you've ever been? Scotland. Scotland, Mm -hmm. it's a good place. If you could invite three people to dinner, living or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you invite?
2: Three people. Colin Powell Ronald Reagan and my mom
1: it's a serious dinner right there. Oh, yeah. That's a serious dinner. They're, like getting, there's... they're getting stuff done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a working dinner, yeah, gentlemen. Well, yeah. oh, there will be serious drinking. <laughs> yeah. What's been your favorite age so far?
2: Ooh. 50.
1: What celebrity would you most like to switch lives with? And you can't give the wussy answer of nobody because I like myself.
2: Hmm. Would I want to switch lives with?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Living or dead, right? Or living? Yeah, yeah. Um, Shania Twain. It's a good one. That's <laughs>
1: that a, good one. a good one. <laughs> What's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh,
2: to wait and see how it goes. You're not a waiter? Not a waiter. Doer.
1: What fictional character do you think you're most like?
2: <laughs> mm. So I, I, I have two. Can I have two? Yeah. Roadrunner. Okay. And then the little, uh, uh, the little tornado
1: Tasmanian Devil. Tasmanian Devil. Dan, that's Dan's contribution yeah. today. That well, you're welcome. The, that and the formidable thing. Mm-hmm. How many seven year olds do you think you could fight off before they'd overpower you? None. We're not seeing a lot of fighting from you. No. What's no. your go-to karaoke song?
2: Ooh. I just had it. Um I had the Tiger.
1: All right, we're going to need 10 seconds of that. Oh
2: lord, I can't sing it. No way. <laughs> you do not want me singing. Mm-mm. All
1: right, we'll let you off the hook, but only because you're honorable. What has been your favorite book that you've read in the last year?
2: You're a badass every day. Who wrote that? Ooh, I'd have to look it up, but she's good.
1: You're a I'll... badass every day. Uh-huh. Okay. What would be your weapon of choice in a zombie apocalypse? A machete. Damn. We go from no violence yeah, to I want to ch- I want to chop the zombies up, up zombies. close and personal. What's your guilty pleasure or something you're embarrassed to admit you like?
2: Embarrassed or guilty pleasure? Those are two different
1: things. They sure are. You get to choose which one you want to talk uh,
2: about. My guilty pleasure is uh, the Talento chocolate peanut butter
1: mm.
2: gel. Chocolate Dan.
0: peanut butter. Dan, we're going to get it, Dan. Get gelato. us some, get us some of that, so gelato, we can, Lindo, so we can try it. Butter gelato.
1: Which one job no one could pay you enough to do?
2: President of the United States.
1: You wouldn't do it? Nope, not for any amount of money. Not for
2: any amount of money.
1: Name your top three favorite automobiles.
2: Oh, let's see: F one fifty, F two fifty, F three fifty. Um, this one probably going to be a surprise 57 Chevy.
1: That's a great car.
2: And any convertible from the fifties or sixties, preferably a Buick.
1: Nice. Those are good answers. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. This is the honorable (laughs) Cheryl Mason. We're going to put her details here, here, and here one more time. The title of your book that they can find on Amazon
2: dare to relate leading with a fierce heart
1: dare to relate guys this has been the neutral position thanks so much and I will see you next week